Hi, everybody. Welcome to 2ZQ Hot Takes, where we discuss issues both big and small. I am your host, the very handsome Tim Kirk, and today I'll be talking about the cultural volatility of shared experiences in and around theme parks. I remember way back when AIDS was a mounting crisis and the ensuing panic around exposure or possible exposure to HIV and the HIV virus made people who had seemed to be reasonable, intelligent, level-headed adults evolve into panic-stricken, fearful, unreasonable caricatures of themselves. So when the apocryphal stories were written and propagated in everything from the Village Voice to the New York Times, the fear-mongering was not even a full head of steam when I clearly recall reading that it was suggested by whoever had access to the media that simply sharing a cigarette or a joint with someone infected with the HIV virus could cause infection if the infected individual's saliva made contact with a cigarette or joint and say, your lips were chapped. There were also numerous stories of young professionals working their way up the middle-class ladder who, simply by the virtue of being gay and not HIV status, disclosed or otherwise, would be perfunctorily allowed to attend events such as dinner parties, but they were relegated to the periphery and served on disposable tableware, paper or plastic plates, plastic utensils and plastic cups, which were hastily separated from the other guests' china and silverware, disposed of while wearing rubber gloves, also disposed of after use, and put in a separate sealed garbage bag to avoid possible contamination of the household or venue where the event took place. Fear equals death. We have come a very long way in understanding since then, but I must admit I have to believe that at least some of the people who blindly hate Muslims, because as far as they're concerned, they're all terrorists hell-bent on destroying America, there are at least as many people who utterly despise the LGBT community because of their sexuality. I say this because of the recent and continuing controversies over gay days and gay nights at large-scale attractions such as Disney World and other theme parks. My experience at Disney or Universal Studios theme parks on days that were not specifically designated as gay were pretty gay. Whether enjoying a ride or attraction or merely strolling around the food and shopping areas that make up a large bulk of the experiences at these places. The Orange County Register said this on October 1st, 2019. Gay Days Anaheim returns to Disneyland and Disney California Adventure this weekend. The unofficial Gay Days Anaheim mix-in event features theme park meetups, trivia games, scavenger hunts, and parties. Disneyland and Disney California Adventure will be filled with a sea of Red Gay Days t-shirts this weekend. This year's official Red Gay Days Anaheim t-shirts feature a Star Wars theme with a stormtrooper on the front and the slogan, May the Fierce Be With You. The first Gay Days Anaheim attracted about 2,500 people in 1998. Today, the independently organized annual event brings in more than 30,000 Gay Days attendees to Anaheim's Disney parks during the three-day event. As part of the Gay Days Anaheim events, ABC's new mixed-dish TV sitcom will be screened at the Grand Californian on Friday and Saturday nights. On Saturday morning, there will be a Gay Day scavenger hunt in Disneyland. How about that? Wikipedia has this, though miscellaneous criticisms and complaints about the Walt Disney Company. The Walt Disney Company unofficial annual gay and lesbian days at Disney theme parks and similar issues 
spurred boycotts of Disney and its advertisers by the Catholic League, the Assemblies of God, and other conservative Christian groups. The Southern Baptist Convention and the American Family Association voted to boycott Disney over opposition to Disney offering domestic partnerships to gay employees and the ABC show Ellen, in which the host, Ellen DeGeneres, came out as a lesbian. Both boycotts were withdrawn in 2005. And in the HuffPost Queer Voices section, originally posted in 2014 and updated in 2016, Disney World's Gay Day slammed by religious right activist Janet Porter, a reporter by the name of Curtis Wong, wrote that Walt Disney World's Gay Days tradition has come under fire from religious rights activist Janet Porter, who obviously has a lot of free time on her hands, or she did anyway. As Right Wing Watch first reported, Porter slammed Disney World for their unofficial event and called upon members of her group Faith to Action to spread the word. She also suggested families rethink their forthcoming visits to the Orlando-based resort. The homosexual agenda is planning to once again descend upon Disney World in Orlando to expose your children to far more than Mickey Mouse and Space Mountain, Porter said, before adding that cross-dressing men will be among those parading public displays of perversion at the theme parks. In 2013, One Million Moms, a division of the American Family Association, best known for threatening to boycott JCPenney after the retail chain hired Ellen DeGeneres as a spokesperson, argued that the event violated Disney's obligation to maintain a family-friendly atmosphere and require proper conduct and dress code. The first Saturday in June, homosexuals, bisexuals, and transvestites will be at the Magic Kingdom with an agenda and purpose different than what would be expected at Disney, members of the group wrote on their website. Homosexuals will be celebrating the 23rd anniversary of Gay Day, wearing matching gay, gay merchandise such as t-shirts. There will also be transvestites dressed in drag showing their support for the event. Meanwhile, Catherine Skaggs, author of the A Well-Behaved Mormon Woman blog, penned a lengthy post earlier that year arguing that Disney's animated smash Frozen reflected a gay agenda to normalize homosexuality. I could blatantly see that the homosexual agenda to normalize the practice was not simply an underlying message in the movie Frozen, but is the actual story, she wrote at the time. I'm not okay that too many parents who would not normally support the normalization of homosexual behavior seem to be completely blind to its advocacy through a children's movie. For some reason unknown to me, the term blatant has been latched onto by people with a particularly vicious connotation to it in reference to LGBT people living their lives as they see fit. This all brings me to my own unforgettable experiences at Action Park, otherwise known as Traction Park, Fracture Park, Class Action Park, among others, and this was all before social media. So maybe someone brought an Instamatic camera to capture the revelry, but most of the time, no. This place was one of a kind. The infamous Cannonball Loop, which is highly reminiscent of an episode of The Simpsons where Homer got stuck and had to be removed by Crane, was one ride I never got on. The many other ones I did, among them, the Tidal Wave Pool. I'm a fairly good swimmer. Grew up swimming, was lucky enough to live in my parents' home with a built-in pool, and I had a fearful time in this gigantic mess known as the tidal wave pool. The first patron death occurred there in 1982. It was, however, the number of people the lifeguards saved from a similar fate that made this the only water world attraction that gained its own nickname, the grave pool. It was 100 feet by 250 feet long and could hold 500 to 1,000 people. 
Waves were generated for 20 minutes at a time with a 10-minute interval between them and could reach as much as 40 inches in height. It was not always obvious that pool depth increased as one got closer to the far end, and there were patrons who, who only remembered or realized that they could not swim when they were in over their heads and the waves were going full blast. Even those who could swim sometimes exhausted themselves, causing patrons to crowd the side ladders as the waves began, leading to many accidents. Twelve lifeguards were on duty at all times, and on high-traffic weekends, they were known to rescue as many as 30 people. The aquascoot, where riders would carry a hard, solid plastic sled <laughs> up to the top of the ride, go down a slide consisting of rollers akin to those found in factories, warehouses, or assembly lines, and end up in a pool that in most areas was no deeper than a puddle. The idea of the ride was to, once the sled hit the water, skip across the water like a stone. In order to do this, the rider had to be in a certain position, lean back. If the rider was not in this position, the sled would sink in the water as soon as it hit the pool, flinging the rider off head first, which often resulted in head injuries. I've seen it a million times. Other times, riders would be leaving the pool only to have others crash into them as they were riding. This ride consisted of parallel slides originally. It accommodated large groups of people so that it was something I did frequently with my entire group. Some just didn't get it and flapped, and others rode it like the champs they were. There's also the Kamikaze. This was the more tame water slide near the Geronimo slides. It was blue in color and featured several drops and rises, but riders would lie on their backs with their arms and legs crossed and go down a chute, which pitched steeply at first, and then went up and down several times before ending in a pool, and gave everyone an enema. The kayak experience. Never wrote it. After the second visitor death in the park's history in 1982, it was closed permanently. It was an imitation whitewater course that used submerged electric fans to agitate the water above. Frequently, the kayaks got stuck or tipped over, and people had to get out of them to remedy the situation. The Tarzan Swing. This was a steel arch hanging from a 20-foot-long cable over a spring-fed pool. Thought you had to be a doofus to not just swing out and drop into the pool, but oh boy... Lots and lots and lots of them missed the pool. The Roaring Rapids. This was a standard raft-based whitewater ride. Reports that the park filed with the state in 1984 noted fractured femurs, collarbones and noses, and dislocated knees and shoulders. Surf Hill. This ride, common to other water parks at the time, allowed patrons to slide down a water-slicked sloped surface on mats into small puddles until they reached a foam barrier after an upslope at the end. Barriers between lanes were minimal, and people frequently collided with each other on the way down or at the end. The seventh lane was known as the backbreaker due to its special kicker two-thirds of the way down intended to allow jumps and splashdowns into a larger puddle. Employees at the park used to like eating at a nearby snack bar with a good view of the attraction since it almost always guaranteed that they could see some serious injuries, lost bikini tops, or both. This was the cruelest place in the park. People would indeed go to the viewing area with several beers and watch as naive people who believed that they could deal with the real possibility of serious bodily harm would hurl themselves through the air as they swooshed over a mogul, because it's actually a former ski trail, and into a grassy pool of mucky water, which slightly slowed down their crash into the padded wall of the viewing area. You just knew people were going to break a limb or hurt their neck every time you hung around this sick fortress of schadenfreude. Then there were the super-speed water slides. These two water slides, also known as Geronimo Falls, were set slightly apart from the rest of the park 
and took advantage of nearly vertical slopes to allow riders to attain higher speeds than usually possible. One started with riders going almost vertically downwards and was covered with screening for the first several feet. As barriers on the sides of the slides were very low, lifeguards reminded every user to remain flat on their back with their arms at their side as they descended since there was no way to ride it otherwise and stay on. The fall from both sides had the potential for a very serious injury. Those who made it to the bottom found their progress arrested by water, which made a large splash, and then a small pool. These provided the riders with super enemas. I kid you not. The diving cliffs, the area around Roaring Rapids, was, and still is, laid out like a kind of grotto, with many lower-intensity attractions. One was a pair of diving cliffs, one was 23 feet high, and the other was 18 feet high, above a 16-foot deep pool. However, the pool was not blocked off from those who might be swimming in and away from other attractions, and nothing at water level gave any indication to swimmers below that they could expect people to dive in right next to them or right on top of them. The sole lifeguard on duty often had his or her hands full dealing with the results of those collisions. Also, non-swimmers would jump off the cliffs, not fully appreciating how deep the water below was and would have to be rescued. I used to do this repeatedly and had the experience of repeated mild head trauma like a series of minor concussions that I did not feel until the day after, but hell. And still, again, I went back. The Colorado River Ride. This was dumb and seemed boring, but people loved it, and it was dangerous. My experiences at Action Park, or my experiences enduring the strenuous demands and battering my body was subjected to while being in a group of people all excited to be pummeled by the forces of nature and gravity and the experience of hurling oneself through various tubes, water slides, jumping off the cliffs, the alpine slide, and even through the roaring rapids, which I thought was to be tame, but in reality extremely dangerous, was not to me a homophobic place, but a head-scratchingly death-defying challenge. I personally did not experience any gay backlash or hostility, and I like to think it was because we all shared a common theme of survival. I get the feeling that these people who were easily offended at LGBT groups would not fare well in a place like Action Park because they are apparently fearful of everyday life, and these risk-enhanced attractions don't seem to jibe with their seemingly preferred experiences. I did see one guy in particular flake and wuss out just before going through one of the fun slides that shot you out of a tube over a lake where you hung in midair for a moment before splashing down into a pool where you then swam to safety and as one who accomplished that feat, you were able to strut away and rejoin your friends and family to see what other bone-crunching feat you would subject yourself to. This one guy, who was pretty hot, shirtless, with a nice physique, and good-looking to boot, just chickened out in front of several hundred people, all waiting their turn to risk self-harm. And instead of going through with it, he just turned to the crowd and meekly said, I can't do it. To which the assembled crowd loudly and enjoyably jeered at this poor fellow, while the ride attendants sprayed him with cold water from the hose they used to wet you down before going through the ride to avoid getting stuck or chafing. They just mercilessly soaked this guy, and he was roundly laughed off the platform while he skulked away. Still think of that poor guy, but I smile when I do. I think that we all wore a psychic badge of honor, and after experiencing Action Park, there was not a single time I did not wake up the next day wondering what truck ran me over, but I kept going back. Tenacious. Stupid, but tenacious. Thanks for listening. See you next time, and as the kitties say, peace out. Peace out.